it was back in the late 1970s that there was a wonderful work of God in our community that I grew up in, especially amongst our youth. And it seemed as if there were young people coming to Jesus every month. Um, it was an amazing work of God. Our youth group was was filled with with new believers, and many of them were not members of our church. Uh, there were sometimes on Tuesday nights when we met for Bible study, there were over a hundred kids there. Just it was amazing. You'd see kids walking in and just like he's here, <laughs> she's here. God was doing such a, a marvelous work in our community. And as I've been thinking about that, the results of that work are really still evident today as you trace what God did among some of those young people. Some of them are in ministry today, still serving the Lord. And as I put my finger on why was that fruitful to this day, and I think really the key was that there was, there was follow-up. There was teaching and nourishing and feeding of the Word of God. Now that's the, the, the key, isn't it, to the Great Commission as we think of what it means to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you. When God's Word is taught and people are nourished and strengthened, then that fruit remains. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we get a glimpse into the heart of a disciple-maker. The Apostle Paul was clearly a disciple-maker. And we get a little glimpse then of his ministry in Thessalonica and his desire to come back to them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them to grow in that relationship that had been established while he was there as a, a missionary. 1 Thessalonians 3, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I found I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face 
And may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you. So that He may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we see in the life of this Apostle Paul the glimpse of a man who realized that people coming to Jesus was not the end of his responsibility. But rather, people coming to Jesus was really the beginning. He was called to make disciples of all nations, to teach them and to establish them and to help them to grow in their relationship with you, O God. Help us to understand that as well today, Lord. It's not just a matter of of someone coming to know the Lord, but to be established and encouraged and strengthened. And Father, give us that burden, that commitment, that desire that those who are new in the faith would be established and rooted and growing for the glory and the praise of, of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul spent just a short time in the city of Thessalonica. And when he was forced to leave that place, he didn't forget about the new believers there in that city. It wasn't out of sight, out of mind for Paul. In fact, it was just the opposite. He couldn't get these believers out of his mind. We saw at the end of chapter 2 this statement in verse 17. He says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. And so when Paul was away in spirit, or in person, he was still with them in spirit. He eagerly desired to see them, and he tried on several occasions to get back to that place because he cared so deeply about these new believers. God had begun a work in them, and Paul was committed to see that work grow. And in this chapter, then, we see a little glimpse into the heart of a disciple-maker. Three characteristics we see in this text. First of all, a disciple-maker sacrifices for others. Wherever you read in the New Testament about Paul's ministry, you almost always notice that he was ministering with someone else. You follow him on his journeys. It's Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Timothy. Always with someone, ministering together. Rarely do you see him alone, and when he is alone, you get the impression that this made ministry much more challenging. Look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. 
We don't probably catch this in our English translations, but the phrase translated left behind is a pretty strong statement. The word carries the idea of being abandoned or forsaken, and it expresses then how seriously Paul saw the value of ministering as a team. And yet he was willing to minister alone for a time so that he might send Timothy to the Thessalonians that he might encourage them. He was willing to sacrifice in order to meet their needs. And that's just one example of many of the sacrifices that Paul was willing to make for the people of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There's a long, long list of what Paul was willing to go through as a disciple-maker, as a servant of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And just consider this, if this was you. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he says, you add to that, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Now you go through that list and it's just like, what do we have to complain about? And you think of what he was willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of people that needed Jesus and people that needed to be established in their faith. I don't know if we know what sacrifice really means, do we, in our culture? Do we? I remember as a child, we were on our way to just just ready to go on vacation. Car was packed. Just before we left the door, left the house, the phone rang. And sure enough, somebody died. And I thought as a kid, you know, they never die at the right time. They always die, you know, at the wrong time. And so, unpacked the car and Went back in the house and had a funeral. And I remember thinking as a child, you know, oh, our vacation. We were going to go on vacation. And I just didn't quite, you know, want to accept that. And, but as I've gotten older, I thought, you know what? I understand now. My dad was willing to sacrifice for people because he loved them. He wanted to see them encouraged and established in the faith. And that's the heart of a a disciple-maker, willing to sacrifice for others. A second characteristic we see here, a disciple-maker not only sacrifices for others, but a disciple-maker encourages others. These new believers needed to be protected from discouragement. 
Because Satan is the master of discouragement and he will do all that he can to turn new believers away from Jesus. Look at verse 5. Paul says, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul was concerned that Satan was going to come in there and discourage these new Christians. And so he encouraged them in a couple of ways. He encouraged them by forewarning them that affliction was sure to come. Verse 2, we sent Timothy, our brother, God's fellow worker, the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass as you no. If you know that you can expect affliction as a believer, it will likely make a difference when you face it. But if you have this misunderstanding that the Christian life is just going to be like uh, you know, a carnival ride to heaven, everything's going to be fine, there won't be any challenges, no struggles, no persecution, no affliction, then when affliction comes, it's like, whoa, didn't expect this. And sign up for this. And so Paul warned them. He said, we kept telling you over and over that this is what's going to happen. And you've experienced it. So let's abandon this idea that, that the Christian life is going to be an easy life. And there's not going to be struggles. There will be. There will be challenges. There will be afflictions. Everyone who de desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, what does Paul say? Shall suffer persecution. He forewarned them that affliction would come. And when affliction came, he sent his faithful brother Timothy to help them out, to encourage them, to strengthen them. And even though we know that the Lord is always with us in time of affliction, one of the ways that he encourages us is through the people of God. Isn't that wonderful when you go through affliction and you've got brothers and sisters in Jesus that stand with you? That pray with you? Pray for you? Encourage you? You know that you are not facing the challenge alone? Paul understood that. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he is writing as he describes what was the end of the journey for him. The time of my departure is about to come, he said. And notice what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.9. He says, make every effort to come to me soon. And he describes those who had been with him and had, had left him. Verse 21 of the same chapter, make every effort to come before winter. Here was this apostle, this man that had been called by God, this this. Uh, tough missionary, and yet, what's he saying? Timothy, I need you. Make every effort to come soon. Timothy, come before winter. Paul knew what it was like to be in need of encouragement. 
And that's why he sent Timothy to those believers in Thessalonica. That they would be encouraged. Because discouragement can be a very dangerous thing. According to legend, the devil once advertised his tools for sale. And when the prospective buyers assembled, there was an oddly shaped tool there that said, Not for sale. Asked to explain why this was, the devil answered, I can spare my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It's the most useful implement I have. It's called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into hearts otherwise inaccessible. When I get this tool into a man's heart, the way is open to plant anything else there that I may desire. Discouragement. And that's why we need to be encouragers. We need to build one another up. We need to be those ones that are refreshing believers that when people see us coming, they say, oh good, (laughs) rather than saying, oh no, here he comes. We want to be those encouragers, right? Are you an encourager? Many of you are encouragers. You encourage me so often in so many ways. We need to be encouragers. A disciple maker sacrifices for others. A disciple maker encourages others. And then thirdly, a disciple maker prays for others. Timothy came back from visiting the Thessalonian believers and he had some good news for Paul. And Paul couldn't help but rejoice. Verse 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you for this reason, brethren, In all our distress and afflictions, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. What joy that brought to Paul's heart as Timothy came back and said, You know what, Paul? They are walking with Jesus. They are growing in their relationship with Him. And and Paul's heart must have just been overflowing with, with joy. I think of that verse in, what is it, Second John verse uh, 4, is it? I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Every Christian dad and mom would say that, right? Every disciple maker would say that as well, that no greater joy when you hear of those who have come to Jesus, that they are walking in that truth. Being established and growing in their relationship with the Lord. But you know, Paul realized that his ministry didn't end there. He knew that he would still, or that they would still face struggles, and so he prayed for them. In verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account? And, and then he says in verse 10, As we night and day keep praying most earnestly, that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Did you notice how he prayed night and day most earnestly? 
That's about as an, an intense of a phrase as you can get. It's the word abundantly with two prepositions added to it to intensify the word. A.T. Robertson says that Paul was superabounding in prayer or overflowing all bounds. What a, what a beautiful picture of the earnestness of his prayer for these people. And notice what he prayed for. It wasn't that they would somehow make it on their own, but rather it would be that he would be able to come to them again, to meet them face to face, to help them grow in their faith. And that's a message you can't miss because he keeps saying it over and over. We saw back in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, We were all the more eager with great joy to see your face. Chapter 3, verse 6, he repeats it again, longing to see you, just as you long to see us. Verse 10, he mentions it again. Verse 11, he mentions it again. Why? Because he realized that his responsibility with the Thessalonian believers didn't end when they came to faith. That's when it just began. And there was that need to follow up. There was that need to help them grow. There was that commitment to disciple them and to teach them like Jesus described in the Great Commission. You know, when our seven children were born, you know what we did? We, we, we took a, a box of diapers and a bunch of bottles and threw them in the crib and said, okay, go at it. And when you're ready to walk, we'll take you out. No, we didn't do that. What do you do? You nurture them. You feed them. You train them. You love them. You help them grow. And guess what? They eventually grow up. Moms and dads, there's an encouragement there. They eventually grow up, right? You don't just say, well, you know, we brought you into the world now. Have at it. Huh? No. And we don't do that to new believers either, do we? We better not. And that's the heart of a disciple-maker we see in the life of Paul. What did Jesus say? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But we don't stop there. Teaching them, nurturing them, instructing them, equipping them, training them, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And what's the promise of Jesus? Lo, I am with you always. As you go about that whole process of making disciples, I will be there. I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will help you to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for men like the Apostle Paul the heart of a disciple-maker, willing to sacrifice, willing to encourage, willing to pray for those who had come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Lord, I pray that we too would see that clear example of what it means to be a disciple-maker. That we would say, Lord, use me in that way. Help me to be an encourager. Help me to be a prayer warrior. Help me to be willing to sacrifice that others might not only know you as Savior, 
but might grow, be strengthened, established, encouraged. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing in closing? Number 500, I'll go where you want me to go. Number 500.
receive the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.